I'm creating a collection of stories showcasing resilient people who overcome unimaginable hardships while finding beauty in the ups and downs of life. Every moment is significant. This is Push Diaries Podcast. I'm your host, Tess. Uh, well, hello, everyone. My name is Tasha Shu, and I live in Ellsworth, Wisconsin, a small farming community in western Wisconsin, and I'm excited to be here today. Yes, we're excited to have you on. Well, thank you for coming on, Tasha. I know your story is one that a lot of people have heard about and know about. You're kind of a a hometown celebrity because even Red Wing and Cannon Falls, that's where I grew up. And that's what, like an hour and a half or two hours from where you are? Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So when I went through my disability and cancer journey, um, I was given your book like five times by many different people. And it's just so funny how <laughs> the world is so small and we all get so connected. But it's so true. Yeah. Your story was very uplifting to me as a young woman going into a chair. I think a lot of people are used to seeing people that have a disability that are elderly or that are children. And it's just maybe more rare to see people like us. So right, it it was cool to get your book and I knew the information was (laughs) going to be good since I got it five times. (laughs) Oh, wow. That is so funny. Yes. I'm glad. I'm glad for those people that shared my story because I would never have believed that my story would turn out the way that it has. Right. So I love helping others. Yeah. And I know you say it a lot, like, oh, I, you know, I, I've done so much more in a chair than I ever could have done. I mean, there is some truth to that though, right? I mean, oh yes. The amount of people that you are able to touch, um, and help overcome in the darkest of times is pretty amazing. So yeah, if you don't mind kind of rewinding, let's go back to your childhood. How many siblings do you have? What did your parents do for work? Kind of just go back and talk about your upbringing. Yeah. So growing up, I was the youngest of three children. And so I have a sister, Angie, that's eight years older than me. And my brother is five years older than me. And as my mother said a lot when I was growing up, I was a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> I, I, my mom was not supposed to have kids not supposed to be able to have kids after she had my brother she had some complications and so five years later I came along and it was a shock to my mom and dad who had just about maybe a year before she found out that I was pregnant had bought the grocery store in Ellsworth so they had just bought this new business they really didn't know what they were doing and now she's gonna have another baby so she's pretty scared but I tell them that I brought all the joy and excitement our family their lives would have been so boring without me so I'm very (laughs) grateful that I'm here but growing up you know I was just a typical kid my my parents were great my home life was great Um, I was always I just loved being around people I thrived around people loved as the older I got the more I loved sports more and my dad sang at every wedding and funeral in the town of Ellsworth so I loved watching him sing. I loved watching him perform. And I was just hoping the older I got, the more I would get his talent or have his talent. And so I, yeah, I loved, loved to sing. And 
was just had a lot of passions. I really loved life. And on the inside, I had a lot of struggles that I really didn't realize I had until later in my life, but just I had a very low self-esteem and it, that didn't come from my home life. It was more from school and mean kids and, and, uh, and the older I got, you know, I just, I didn't really believe in myself and the goals and dreams that I had prior to my accident were very, very minimal. And, um, I didn't ever think about doing big things. I mean, I, I, I really, um, didn't think that I could. And so, um, you know, I had a boyfriend and we were going to get married after high school and I, I, I was going to go to school to be a music teacher. I mean, of course I dreamt about being a professional singer and actor, but I deep down, I was like, yeah, that'll never happen. So, I mean, I hope that makes sense, but I, I, uh, on the outside was someone that was very happy, go lucky. And on the inside had some struggles and, um, and so, um, yeah, that was pretty much me growing up and and entering high school. How, what did your faith look like? Like, did you believe in God when you were a kid? What did that look like for you when you were little? Yeah, growing up, my family and I, we went to church every Sunday. I mean, it was just a family ritual that we all got up on Sunday morning. My dad sang in the choir. My mom taught Sunday school. We all went. And I, I believed in God. I had lots of questions, especially the older I got. And, um, and, but always felt, I always felt deep down that God had a plan for my life. And I didn't know what that was. But for me, um, I would say my faith itself was pretty shallow in the fact that I didn't, um, I left my faith there at church on Sunday when I left. Like, I really only thought about God when I was there. And then when I had struggles or challenges during the week, I never went to God. I actually went other places that I thought could give me answers because I didn't think God would give me answers. And that yeah. has evolved a lot. But that was pretty much where I was at when, um, before everything happened. Yeah. And I feel like that's common for a lot of kids. I mean, a lot of our faith when we're young can be on a more shallow level because we're not... Mm-hmm. We just haven't lived enough life or experience to need to really, you know, learn what God right. is teaching us. So, yep. I, I mean, I'm so thankful, though, that you had faith. You had a foundation yeah. of faith for what yep. your life was, you know, what was about to happen in your life. Because without it, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, did now, did you ever know anyone growing up with a disability? Did you have people in your community that were in wheelchairs, grandparents? Yeah, not really. I mean, any, any person that I knew that had a disability were old. They were elderly, and it was from old age. Um, there was one boy in my school that was in a wheelchair, but he was a year younger than me. And I, I never talked. I like I we didn't hang around with the same people. I would just see them and yeah. I would just say, you know, and whenever I saw somebody in a wheelchair, I'd always be like, Oh yeah. I feel, I feel so bad for them. Like yeah. their life must be awful. That would be so awful. Yeah. And, and, and I had a staring problem too. I remember my boyfriend saying, Tasha, stop staring, <laughs> and, which is very interesting. Uh, when, when 
the tables were turned. But it was, I really, I did not know one person with a spinal cord injury. I did not, this was, this was something I didn't even know could really even happen. Right. I mean, I'd heard of Christopher Reeves, his accident, you know, I grew up loving Superman. So I remember he, he was in a horse, um, horse um, accident and uh, he was paralyzed from the neck down and, and I, that was all I knew, but I didn't obviously know him personally. So it was, it just seemed so removed and, oh, right. that, that could never happen. That could never happen to me. Yeah. I'm invincible. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. So I know, I know we're going to just go ahead and go there and talk about the Sheldon theater and um, about yeah. how you kind of got into theater and your interest in that. And if you want to go ahead and tell the listeners what happened, go for it. Yeah. And we can kind of talk about, we can come back around and kind of talk about how you've overcame and all of that. Perfect. Yeah. So, so I was in 4-H, so I had done some theater through 4-H and through um, my church, we did a production, but the older I got, the more, um, I kind of was put into situations where I had to sing solos and I found out that I was actually pretty good. And I was really excited about that because I had always wanted that to happen. And my, when I was in eighth grade, my mom in the summer in between eighth and ninth grade, my mom actually took me to New York for a trip and we got, she got tickets to see Greeks on Broadway and I fell in love. I mean, I'd always watched the movie and I always had a crush on John Travolta, but this was like official straight out obsession now. Like I was so obsessed. And then, but maybe five months later, my high school announced that they were going to be doing Greece the following fall as an, as, as a high school production. And I was so excited because I was a freshman which I wasn't in high school yet, but I would be the next year. So I was going to have the opportunity to try out. And I remember just praying, God, I just want to roll. I just want to part. Like, just give me the smallest part and I'll be so happy. And my mind was <laughs> blown away when they picked me to be Sandy. And I was like, what? Oh my gosh, I'm brown hair, super tall. Right. I was the tallest girl in my class since preschool. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think Danny is shorter than me. This is going to be interesting. But I <laughs> fell in love. Yeah, I fell in love with theater. I fell in love with performing. And that musical was so much fun. I saw it built my confidence. It built my self-esteem. And I really felt like I had a gift that many of my friends and classmates didn't have. And that was singing and performing. Yeah. And so, um, so I was really excited when that production was over. And they announced, because normally my high school only did musicals every other year because they were so expensive. But Greece was sold out all of our productions. We even had to add an extra one that was also sold out. So we um, had extra money, and they decided that they were going to do The Wizard of Oz the next year. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this will be so much fun. Like, what if I could be Dorothy? Oh, my gosh. Be yeah. So, I, um, so we had the auditions. And I was not chosen as Dorothy. And actually, I was quite relieved because I was, I worked at my parents' grocery store. I took piano lessons. I babysat. I was on, I was on, I was just involved in so many different things. I had friends. And, um, and it was actually almost a relief that I was cast as a chorus member. And basically, my director, everybody that had 
leaves the year before were now lower roles and other people that were lower roles now had the leads. And so it was great. I was totally fine with it. And this way I got to learn a little bit more about the technical parts of theater because when I was Sandy, I was just like running around. Yeah. I had cut off like a chicken, you know, it was so <laughs> crazy. And now I got to spend more time with my friends while everybody else is rehearsing. And so how our school did our productions at the time, it's a long story, but we didn't have a stage that was big enough. So we practiced in the Ellsworth junior high gym for two months and then we moved everything over to the Sheldon theater practice for a few days and then was our opening night. And so when we got there, we got there on the Monday night, uh, which would have been November 10th. And um, we had a lot of work to do with scene changes and we were working on scene changes and they were taking us a lot of time. So when we came to play practice the next day, we knew we had a lot of work to do. We only had a few more, really only one more rehearsal before our open, before our dress rehearsal. And so we were working on the scene change and um, our director, because we were so close to crunch time, he turned all the lights off. So it's pitch black. I mean, it was, it, oh, it was just, it was a recipe. It was all the ingredients for disaster. As I was standing there, um, all of our jobs had been changed that day so that more people could help and the scene change could be done faster. So we, I didn't really know what was happening and I hadn't been on the stage the night before when they were practicing it. All I knew is I was supposed to take a prop off of this bridge moving on stage and go put it where it was supposed to be. And so I was standing there and completely unbeknownst to me, they removed the cover off of the trap door on stage directly behind me. And this all happened probably in the matter of two to five seconds. So they opened the trap door. This bridge was moving towards me. Someone told me to move out of the way because I was in between the two. And I just took a step back and instantly realized that there was nothing under my foot. And utter confusion filled my mind as I instantly began falling. And two seconds later, I was on the cement floor in the basement of the theater. I had just fallen 16 feet landing. I, the back of my head is what smashed into the cement floor first. And then the next thing that came was my body. And the only thing in between my head and my body was my neck. And so I heard, I never lost consciousness. So I heard my neck break, but I had no idea what that meant. And again, I just was like, I'm Tasha Shu. I'm invincible. Nothing bad could ever happen to me. And so I was scared. I was very scared. But deep down, I was like, I'll get myself out of it. I'll, I'll, you'll, you'll be fine. You're fine. And so I was brought by ambulance to the local hospital. Do you remember, like, being on the floor? Do you remember, like, oh, yeah. if you called out? How long did people, how long did it take for people to get to you down there? Oh, my gosh. It was the craziest thing because I remember everything. I mean, it's a little, it's a little fuzzy because I'm pretty sure they gave me some drugs to kind of make me feel better and pain yeah. and all that once I got to the hospital. But I remember, I, I remember just having so much pain shooting down my shoulder. Oh. So I equated that with, oh, I must have broken my shoulder. Maybe that was what that noise was from. Trying to be positive, trying to think of the lesser of, you know, two evils of what, I, what, could, what it could have been. Yeah. And all I, re I just remember 
my really good friend, Rachel Funk, being there, like, immediately. I was like, everybody was freaking out. They were calling 911. And my whole thought the entire time was, how did Rachel get down here so fast? Right. Like, <laughs> like where I should have been thinking, I mean, I was thinking, I, I looked up, and I saw the hole in the floor. I saw the trap door. And I was actually more than anything embarrassed. Yeah. I was more embarrassed. I was like, because I'd always been a klutz. I'd always broken all these bones. I was always getting hurt. And I thought to myself, only you, only you would do this. Like, why do you think yeah. this thing? Yeah. Ah, everyone's going to make fun of you at school tomorrow. And then Rachel, like, right. she do that? Like, it was that, just oh, so my fast. Huh. Oh, my gosh. And I wasn't bleeding. I was, so my body couldn't go into shock. And I was, and then the ambulance came and, and it was really when I got to the hospital, my, the first thing was my, um, I wanted my mom and I wanted a friend to go with me to the hospital and they would not let my friend go with me because she was underage and I understand that now, but I just wanted comfort. Like I wanted, I was scared. And, um, and so when I arrived at the hospital and they opened the ambulance, here is one of my really good friend's moms. She was on call that night at the emergency room. And I was like, oh, thank God, Dorothy. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. And I just kept telling her, am I paralyzed? I just kept asking, am I paralyzed? And I wasn't asking to know the truth. I was asking for her to tell me, no, no, you're going to be fine. Right. And she kept, because I knew I couldn't, I couldn't feel my legs. And, um, and so I just thought, well, you know, it'll come back. It'll come back. Well, when I'm asking her, she just, all she kept saying is, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Tasha. And I'm like, no, don't, don't tell me that. Right. Tell me, yes. Tell me. Right. You need a reassuring voice. Of course, as a nurse, she can't do that. And, and then it was shortly, I mean, and this all happened, like my brain, I'll feel like this is all in like 10 minutes. Yeah. But I'm sure it was spread out longer. My parents got there and that was when they told me that I needed to be airlifted. And I was like, you do not, they don't airlift people for broken shoulders. Something is really wrong. And I got very scared then and started crying and was like, what's wrong? Like, why are you airlifting me? Like, I don't get it. And, um, and so then I, so I was airlifted to St. Mary's hospital in Rochester and, um, it was pretty crazy because that's where it gets really fuzzy. Um, I had just eaten a very healthy dinner before the accident of hot chocolate and donuts. So my, my, uh, that was a joke, obviously. Right. <laughs> awful dinner for a teenager. Hey, and, and I should say, <laughs> yeah, and I should say I was, I was 16 years old, one month away from being 17, you know, and that was my choice. And obviously my body didn't like that after right. the accident happened. So I, on the way over in the helicopter, I vomited oh. and they think that I aspirated some of it and that was going to cause a lot of complications in the next coming days and weeks and even months and so so when I arrived they all I remember I remember my eyes sink so heavy I just wanted to go to sleep and the doctors kept asking me can you feel this 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 can you feel this, can you feel this? and I was just like just let me go to sleep. My eyelids are like 50 pounds, please. They're like, Tasha, stay awake. Can you feel this? Can you feel this? Can you feel this? Oh. And then, you know, after talking to all my family now, 
they went out to my family and said she's broken her C5 vertebrae, which is your fifth vertebrae down in your neck. It broke off and the bone, the vertebrae broke off into what would look like an Indian arrowhead and went straight through her spinal cord. It's not severed, but it's severely crushed, which is pretty much the same thing as being severed. And my mom right. said to the doctor, who's going to tell her that? And he said, oh, she already knows. I did not know. And it, maybe they did tell me, but again, I had this mentality, I'm going to get myself out of this. You can tell me this all day, but you guys don't know me. You don't know who I am. Well, and right. I'm, and you had no idea what paralysis even meant. Oh I mean, my gosh, no. No, and that's what's so crazy is I, I knew I could move my arms because I was moving my arms. And so I thought, well, if I'm, par if I'm paralyzed, it's all or nothing. Like, right. so I can move my arms. Clearly, I'm not paralyzed. Right. I can feel my arms. And, um, but then come to find out that with my level of injury, I can move my arms. I can't move my fingers or my, tri my triceps are paralyzed, but I do have movement of my biceps, deltoids, shoulders. And so that made me think that I would, um, that they were all wrong. You know, I was going to get it figured out. I was going to figure out how to, to do this and be walking. And so, uh, but three days later, I had a um, 16-hour neck surgery where I came out of that, in that surgery, my lungs started filling with infection and pneumonia. And as I came out of that surgery, my body began shutting down. And they soon found out that I had developed double pneumonia in my lungs. And to this day, they really don't know how it progressed, but I think somehow some of that pneumonia got into my bloodstream because within, within hours, they were telling my family that I wasn't going to live, that I was, they had induced me into a coma, which are, I was for eight days. My fever soared to 108 degrees, and they told my family that I wasn't going to live. And, and just to backpedal a little bit, I would have been okay with that. I... When they did tell me, you know, it was, it was very subtle. They hadn't come out yet and say, to my knowledge, you're not going to walk. But I was, I saw my boyfriend crying. I saw my friends crying, my mom, everybody in my family crying. And I knew that this wasn't going to be good. And so I, I really was at peace. I'm like, you know, I think it'd just be better if I left this earth. And I've had 16 good years, but I had a lot, a lot, a lot, if not hundreds if not thousands of people that were praying for me yeah. in those eight days. And when I woke up eight days later and found out what I had been through, I deep down knew that I must be here for a purpose. I clearly didn't know what that was at the time. It gave me a peace, especially for really what was going to be the hardest parts yet to come. I mean, I, I, got off the respirator, which I was on for two and a half weeks, had a trach, um, and started my rehab, which was really to get me independent. And I, they kept telling me about this gym, and I was picturing, like, weights, and, and, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go back to school so buff, like, all these guys are going to want to date me, and, <laughs> and I, so I roll into this gym, and I'm like, this isn't a gym, this is a therapy unit, like, I, just mad, no weights. I'm like, what in the world? And just soon to begin, begin to realize that this wasn't a mind over matter thing, that this was actually going to be my life.
and I struggled immensely. I was angry. I was mad at God. I was mad at everybody, you know, just because I couldn't, I couldn't answer that why question. I couldn't figure out why God had allowed it. Why me? And, uh, and really just, um, hurting a lot in, and, and it wasn't just the paralysis, you know, so I was paralyzed from the chest down. So, so I have no feeling or movement from my chest down. I can move my arms. Um, I think I kind of described that, but my, my, all 10 of my fingers are paralyzed. And, um, and it wasn't just the physical parts. It was my boyfriend broke up with me. My parents' marriage was falling apart, of which we thought they had had the perfect marriage. So I was shocked to see my parents fighting and all these pressures of that to build a new wheelchair accessible home because the home I grew up in was 115 years old with steps everywhere. Oh no. And so, yeah, so it was so much. My best friend only came to see me twice the entire six months that I was in the hospital. Just other things, you know, there's so much that, yeah. and, and it was just so overwhelming. And I tried to keep a smile on my face for when company visited. And then when they leave, I'd, and the lights went out, I would just cry and cry and cry and cry and just beg God that I could wake up from this nightmare. And, um, and, and so then, and I don't know if you have any questions in between all of this. Yeah. 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 I was just going to ask you. So then what did your, did you internalize any of what your parents were going through as guilt? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh so much guilt. I felt like everything was my fault. I knew that my parents would not be going. My parents were actually in the process of building a brand new grocery store when my accident happened. So the worst timing for that, because that had to be put on hold. They now had to build a new home. I mean, just all their, all their savings, all their, what they had worked so hard for, for all those years was going down the drain and my house, you know, in the hospital for almost six months. So Imagine what those hospital bills were and our insurance had some pretty bad red tape where long and short was that they were only going to cover $200 a day. And just my hospital bed was $1,400 a day. That doesn't include therapy, surgeries, medicine, Jeez. nurses, care. I mean, so it was just, and I, I, I felt that it was all my fault. And my parents were always telling me, this is not your fault. This right. is not your fault. Don't blame yourself. But no matter what they said, I believe I right. believe them, and I just thought right. it was going to be a burden, and it was just so hard. I mean, yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't pay me to go back to that time. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. It just felt like yeah, my life. How, how long, Tasha, did it take for that to turn around? For that feeling to sting less and less? Oh man. Well, I I always say it. It's, it's a roller coaster. It wasn't a defining time. It was, it was really about finding a new normal, which took a very long time, very long time. It was, I would say, two years and, and ultimately 10 years I, because it was my life was such as I'd have a good day and then I'd have three bad days. Then I'd have two good days. And then I'd have four bad days and then I'd have five good days. And then, you know, it was just like, you could never know what the day was going to be like. And I, 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 um, struggled with that so much, just trying to figure out 
okay, what's tomorrow going to be like? And, and you, nobody knows that, you know, so I just began, somebody had given me a poem when I was in the hospital and to this day I can't find it and everybody has tried to find it. But it, all I remember is it was just titled One Day at a Time and it was about, it was about not looking down the road. It was giving your best today, just one day at a time. And I knew that that's what I needed to do because I would think two years, I think five years, and I think about my friends getting married. I think about my friends going to college, my friends having families, and I would just fall into the pits of yeah. despair. And, just, and it, would, it would take me so long to come out of that. And so I just determined that I, I only could focus on today. And I still struggled. I, I also struggled with what I call the what-if game. You know, what if I hadn't gone out for theater? What if I had gone out for basketball that year? Because if I had, I would have not been at play practice. Uh, you know, what if they hadn't opened the chapter? What if I hadn't taken that step? And I, I call it the what if game because I played it all the time. And I soon began to realize that it was a game that I was never going to win. And it took me time. It took me time to realize that. Because the truth of the matter was it happened. And no matter what, no matter how much I thought about it, no matter how much I pondered this, it happened and I couldn't go back. And it was, it was, um, it was some winning some battles, going to wheelchair camp for the first time, mind blowing. I mean, yeah. mind perspective changing scene. You know, Bob Bardwell came to visit me in the hospital and he was like, you need to come to my wheelchair camp. And I was like, okay, whatever. I actually, you know, a typical 17-year-old, I'm like, whatever, I'm coming to your stupid wheelchair camp. Like, right. And the week, the week before camp, Bob called my mom and said, I don't care what you have to do, get her get here. here. And I was like, oh, I kicked and screamed, obviously, more, I didn't, I can't kick, so, you know, just. But you screamed, you made it. Yeah, I did. did. Oh my gosh, my mom. <laughs> And I got there and I didn't want to leave. I, I was like, there were cute boys. You know, if my boyfriend broke up with me, I thought, who's ever going to want to date me? And all these boys like thought I was so pretty. And I was like, oh my gosh, like people yeah. like me. Maybe there is hope. And just seeing all these Olympians that had overcome so much college degrees, marriage, children, babies, you know, and all these things. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's hope for me. Yeah. So that that was a huge thing. Going home was hard because I wanted to live at wheelchair camp. I wanted to be with people in wheelchairs all the time where I where I was normal. Yeah. And I really struggled with people staring. I really struggled with gossip within my community because my parents' marriage continued to disintegrate and um and so it was just again this roller coaster of good days and bad days and learning. Learning I learned so much at wheelchair camp and and, and then my faith, because I was really angry with God, because I was like, wait, I thought you said you had this good plan for me. This certainly cannot be what's considered a good plan. And, uh, and all my friends were like, oh, God's going to use this. I'm going to turn it for good. And I'm like, yeah, that's easy for you to say. You get to walk out of my house, out of my hospital room. I'm the one that has to live this. Yeah. And, um, but they were right. I mean, a year later... I really just had a encounter with God, I guess you could say. I just was probably at one of my lowest lows and just saw that he 
loved me and that he cared about me and that by me pushing him away, it was only going to get make things worse. That he, if I would allow him to help me and and take care of me, that he could he could use this and and that that I could have a good life and and that obviously took a lot of time. Also, my faith grew a lot and and I knew that God was real. I just had a piece that did not make any sense to anyone. I think some people are like, Tasha's officially lost it. She has peace about this. And, and I really did. And it, again, that was between that two and 10 years of just taking it one day at a time. You know, yeah. I had started college at Winona State and just started to, started to, I moved out from my from my parents' home that they had built for me and lived in Winona, and you know was meeting friends, meeting boys, and uh, and starting to see that um, I I was had my ten year anniversary and I looked back and I thought, oh my goodness, God really has turn this for good. Now, here's some real wind. Are you hearing that? Yeah, I can hear that. Hey, everyone. I wanted to tell you about Patreon. Patreon gives creators of all kinds of tools needed to acquire, manage, and energize their paying patrons. Support Push Diaries by subscribing to our Patreon page where you'll get exclusive content not found anywhere else. We just started a special series where me and my fiancé Tyler talk about life and how we push forward together. Just go to patreon.com, create a profile, and become a patron of Push Diaries Podcast and thousands of others. Thanks and we'll talk again soon. You looked yeah. back and you realized that God had truly been working in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was between that two and 10 years, I actually had a 10 year um, celebration and I looked at that and thought, Oh my goodness, here I was just looking one day at a time, not, not looking at all I had accomplished, not look, I just basically had my head down with blinders, like just get through today, just get through today, just get yeah. through today. That's how I live my life. But and how, I look back and how are you able to keep goals though? And like purpose? Cause didn't you get sick of just keeping your head down and no, I mean, for me, I mean, I was going to school, so I knew that when I was done with school, I would figure out what I was going to do. I mean, I wanted to be a speaker. I had seen other people speaking, but I knew I needed to get an education and I knew I needed to work on me. I had a lot, I looked at myself and I'm like, you don't even know who you are. Yeah. You, you know, boy, boys are wanting to date me. And I'm like, no, I need to find out who I am. I need yeah. to find out who Tasha Shu is. Because yeah, I, you, I had such a, yeah. Yep. You literally had no idea. I mean, you went through your fall when you were how old? Yeah. 16. 16. You fell. And I mean, when, when I think of when I was 16, we were all going through stuff. So 
the fact oh, that you, yeah. yeah, we're going through everything a normal human goes through in their adolescence. And then on top of that, having to, like you said, watch your friends get married, go to school, like, yeah. you know, you can still do those things. It just took you a little bit longer to plan it. So right. Right. yeah. At what point did you, did that yeah, just keep your head down and get what you can done for that day. At what point did that turn into a longer, more hopeful outlook? Yeah, the, I think that was probably between eight and 10 years. You know, I think at the 10 year. So when I looked at when I was at 10 years, I looked back and I, I looked at my life. I had had I had received two bachelor's degrees. I learned how to drive and I had just built my own home. And I was living on my own with caregivers coming in for only four hours a day, which is like unheard of with quadriplegics. I mean, my doctor was like, she will need eight to 12 hours a day of care. And so I was learning to be independent. I was, I was, I was, I was speaking by this time and actually I had just started speaking professionally, but I had been, I had been speaking like just at churches and at classrooms at college at Winona and I knew I wanted to speak I uh, but I, I knew I needed to work on me like I was at no place where I could get up and give an inspirational message because my life wasn't all that inspirational and I had I had to go through these things to learn to learn and yeah. so and so it, but it was at my 10-year anniversary I had a housewarming party everybody came and saw my home and and I saw that I love, I really, I really am glad that this happened and I'm really glad that I went through this and no, a lot of it was not fun and a lot of it was not easy and I struggled immensely with depression and hopelessness and feeling like this should have never happened and wanting to go back. But it was here that, and don't get me wrong, you know, everybody has a bad day, you know, this, is, this but this was now my belief that this it was a good thing and that I was grateful that I wasn't walking and that I was grateful to be the one chosen to, to go through this and um and I, I just began to do so many other things that I never thought I would do you know I, yeah. I started speaking I um wrote my first book and then I started dating Doug and and then married Doug and was like, why do you want to date me? I would still struggle. A lot of those insecurities came back when we were dating because he was the, he was the lead or chief meteorologist for the ABC station in Eau Claire, ABC station in Eau Claire. And I'm like, he can have any woman. I mean, here's this guy. He's like built. He's hot. He's handsome. He's gorgeous. He's sweet. Like, yeah. what is wrong with him? Like, why does he want to be with me? And yet, it's funny. I began to realize that I think every woman has those struggles. And of has course we do. Yeah. And so I, um, so we got married and I found out that he really loved me and I was really grateful for that. I was like, okay, people, especially people in the small town that I grew up in were very leery and they were afraid that he was going to hurt me. And so they were oh. like, you know, he has to have a, he has to have an ulterior motive. He can't really love you. And I was like, thanks. Wow. I'm yeah, so geez. Yeah. I believe that's... I have so much value right. and worth. And him and I, well, we've been married now for six and a half years. It'll be seven years in August. 
and I, we have gone, we have worked through a lot, and he is, he has been, he has just been so amazing and so good to me, and loves me. He loves me in this wheelchair, and he, and I, I had to work through a lot of that, and to believe him, to believe that he wasn't seeing other girls on the side, and and um and 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 I had to come to the point where I had to realize that fear is a fear is something that we're all going to feel at times, and fear, lots of times, will hold us back. Uh, everything I went, everything I've accomplished, going to college, learning how to drive, building my own home, speaking, getting married, all had fear in front of them. Right. And I could have said, you know what, I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to take a step back and not not do it because I fear I might fail. Yeah. But thankfully I did not, I was stubborn enough and I was, I was like, it's worth it. It's worth it. If it fails, it's worth yeah. the risk. And that was, that was Doug's love for, to me was I just threw the insecurities off to the side and said, you know what? It's, it's, it's worth it. If he doesn't love me, if he one day decides that he's going to leave me, I'll be okay. I'll survive. Yeah. I've been through enough. I mean, obviously that. Everything I've been through, that, that's yeah. almost smaller, you know, but yep. at the same time, I just knew that I had to let go of this fear and just be vulnerable. And I'm so grateful because we, we're a normal couple. We fight, we argue, we yep. get on each other's nerves, especially, you know, we work together. So him and I are literally together like 24 seven. Um, he sometimes will go to his parents' house and I'll go see a friend but otherwise we're together all the time and yeah. and we work together and I, I, I love him. I'm so, we have so much fun together and we both see the value in our relationship. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, you are so lucky to have him. And I was like, well, aren't we all lucky? Like if yes. we have someone that loves us, yes. isn't your yes. husband special? Like right. your husband's right. not special. Like I, wow. I'm yeah. sorry. Like, we all should have a relationship where it's both give and take. And he's not my caregiver. I mean, he knows how to do my cares and he will do my cares if need be, if we're on the road and don't have a caregiver with us. But he's my husband and I still have all my caregivers come to our home that help me get up and, and get into bed at night. And, um, and we have a very healthy, normal marriage. I mean, we have a great sex life. We have, we love each other. We, you know, and I, and I'm, I'm, so grateful that I the fear oh man fear was screaming at me like run I was actually 15 minutes late to our first date because I was going to cancel I'm like this, yeah. this is not going to work but thankfully he waited and didn't think he was stood up so it, I'm but I think about that so often what if I hadn't gone on that date you know I would have missed yeah. out on probably what I feel is God's greatest gift given to me on this planet and so I yeah um Outside of God and Jesus, I, I Doug is my, he's just, he's wonderful. And yeah. I am so grateful. I'm so happy. Him. Yeah. I'm so happy that you were able to, to speak louder to yourself, bigger than those yes. negative thoughts, oh, because you're yep. right. Any one of us, any day can not do something because we're fearful or not do something because we don't think we're worthy. But if you're willing to show up and just try yep. it. Oh, we all that, surprise that's ourselves. the battle. Yep. Yeah. And it's so, you know, I think so many people never live. They're so afraid of fear and failure. 
they never step out to do the things that are they're calling to them they're saying please try please do this it'll work out yeah they literally don't step out and it's like yeah we would we would love to have legs to be able to step out and do something oh right if your mentality is there right tasha i mean that's what you're saying if if you can just push through yep so i love i love the word try yeah (laughs) yeah try go don't don't fear fear is is you know i've heard lots of things about fear but it is something that will steal so much and i you know i one of my favorite words is hope today and people are like well what if i have hope and something bad happens it's like well at least you had hope like at least you had a positive outlook at least you looked on the best side of things because my goal my i think my philosophy is just to make every day the best day that you can. Right. You know, not one of us knows what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't, I never right. would have thought COVID-19 coming. I mean, we had this full, beautiful speaking schedule and I was so excited for all, and here this came and just wiped our calendar completely clean. And I'm like, what? Oh my gosh. Like, and I had to ask myself, who am I? Is my, am, is my identity in a speaker or who's my identity in? And so I had to really go back to a lot of the things that I speak on and remind myself what this day is about. This day was not about um, being, um, this day was not about all my accomplishments. This day was about making the best that I, that I could make it be. Yeah. And so that's when, when, when we have that mentality is where it's, it's great to have dreams. It's important to have dreams, but, Every day, getting up, trying to make a difference, trying to help others, trying to live a purposeful life with a good attitude. Yeah. I sometimes think 80% of our daily battle and, yeah. and how many of us waste today. And so, yeah, yeah it's, it's very it's, true. It's very true, Tasha. And it, it might sound simple, but it's so important to have hope oh, in something. And if that is yes. just hope in the day, going by as best that you know how with God's help, you know, or for those, for those of the listeners that aren't faithful about something, what, you know, what do you care about? What, what can you put, what can you invest time in to be hopeful? What are your your passions? Yep. What do you enjoy doing? Right. I tell people that all the time, you know, like, they're like, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom or, oh, I'm just a high school student or, or I'm just, I'm just a, just, just, yeah. A, right. And it's like, no, that's not when you're a, a your high school student, you have so much impact. Yeah. People that you're in your school. If you're a stay at home mom, you have babies, you have children that you're raising to be contributing citizens of our world. Like this, there's no greater purpose than that. You know, yeah. we, we, right. We minimize it. We don't realize how much greatness is in, if you're work at Walmart or you, you pump gas or you, you know, all these things that you can do could be your job. You have the opportunity every day to make it the best day that it can be. Yeah, no, you're, you can in that. you're so right. And, you know, taking it a step further too, like, you know, your physical disability and my physical disability are not things that we want to let just completely ruin our lives. You know, right. we have to, right we have to move on and we have to look at yep. the positives so that good yep. days can go by and you can look back yep. and say, Whoa, <laughs> look at how much I've accomplished with my faith and hope. You know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's mind blowing. I mean, I just, 
people are like, oh, you're so inspirational. I'm like, I promise you, I never set out to be inspirational. I just did my best day in and day out and looked back and thought, oh, my. Wow. Sometimes I have to pinch myself. Like, yeah. really? You did this? I can't believe you did this. Yeah. It's and it's just amazing. that reminder. It's just that reminder that we all have greatness on the inside of us. It's just what we do with it. And we, yeah. we can't control what's going to happen to us, but we can control how we react to it. And yes. there's just lots of things that I do on a daily basis that help remind me of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. Sitting outside is one thing I love to right. do too. Yep. <laughs> that is, does so much for the soul and the body. Yes, yes it yes. sure does. So Tasha, at what point did your public speaking change from, you know, just kind of picking up gigs here and there, speaking at, you know, company, um, what, whatever trainings or whatever they have going on? When did it change to speaking with students? And, and what have you seen come to fruition from you know, the next 10 years of your life. Um, yeah. You said you, you're 23 years this year that you <laughs> yep, fell. 23 years since my accident. Yep. And it is, it is. So I started speaking mostly at churches, faith groups, and, um, and really love that. And, and then thought, I, I thought I'll just do that for the rest of my life. And then I, and then it kind of evolved to organizations, um, CEOs, people, event planners wanting me to share my inspirational story. So I started doing that. And yeah, when I, when I met Doug in 2012, I was speaking full-time. I'd been speaking full-time since 2007. And full-time in the speaking world is 50 to 70 engagements a year. And I had met that easily over um, since I started. But, um, but then I when I met Doug, it, it, it exploded because first of all, Doug was on TV. So he had a lot of connections and it was just perfect timing because I was trying to do it all by myself before I met Doug. And I did, I had a marketing assistant in Texas that helped me and she helped me grow my business a lot. But when Doug came into the picture, she was kind of looking to cut back and retire. And it just naturally evolved that he took over a lot of the office stuff, spreadsheets, taxes, all the stuff I hate, all the organizational yeah. stuff, stuff I hate to do. And wow. that was really when it exploded because I could then give, I could give my time to giving my best message that I could give. And, yeah. and so we were loving that. I thought I was going to do that forever. Yeah. And what then, a gift and, though. What a oh, gift. Oh, I loved it. Yes. That oh, God, God like, God. not only did God like bring you, Tasha, someone that loved, that could love you even better than you loved yourself someday. Like, yeah. but then also like God brought you a husband who could help you with your passion of yep. being successful and reaching more people, I think is really yes. incredible. So. Uh, and, and such a gift he is. I am so thankful when he's like, Oh, I just did the quarterly taxes. I'm like, I love you. Like, yeah, I probably would have gone to jail. I, you yeah. know, not intentionally, right? But I just hate yeah. stuff like that. And I was always like, oh, I don't know how to do that, so I'll just shove it off to the side. So it's like, right. yeah, you can't do that. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. Well, thankfully, thankfully, I was in the right. You know, I mean, it was <laughs> all being naive, and we got that all straightened out. And and <laughs> and, but at the same time, he he is just. And he loves it. He sees the lives. He saw the impact. And he's like, I want to be a part of that. I want cool. 
to know that I'm also making a difference by helping you. And that's exactly what it is. So he, so, um, so that's what we were doing in 2014. Uh, We had never made a cold call. We, we, our phone was ringing. We were basically having to even turn down some engagements. We were so busy. And, uh, and it was uh, December 14th of 2014 when I found out that my good friend from high school, her son had died by suicide and he was 14 years old. And it was, I was devastated. I mean, I, Doug's like, I've never seen you so sad. I've never seen you so heartbroken. Yeah. And I was like, he was 14 years old. Like, right. he had so much life left. And he, right. There's so much for help. hope that could have yes. come. Yeah. This was not the answer for him. And it was, I just, because I know I wanted to die. I wanted my life to end. Right. There were days where if I could have jumped out of a window, I would have. Like, I wanted to die. And yet I was so grateful that I had not, that I couldn't, that I had made it through it. And I just thought, he this was wrong. And they, they asked me to speak at the funeral just to help other students that were there. And, uh, and it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I, the mom, Emmy, she actually said to me, are you going to be able to do this? I, I couldn't, I had not, since I found out I had not been able to pull myself together. I was just sobbing and sobbing and sobbing for hours. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Like I, yeah, I've never been asked to do something so hard. And yet, when we, when, when it happened to Logan and then my sister's husband lost a nephew was only 18. And then my friend, her best friend's 15 year old daughter died by suicide. And we just began to see, it just began to come in front of our face everywhere we went, every concert we went to, every, every event we went to, there'd be something like, do you know that teen suicide is now the third leading cause of death in, in adolescence? Oh. And, and I'm, and I was like, what, what? Do, what is what is this like are we supposed to do something about this like am I supposed to help and you know we prayed and we we talked to people like do you think this? and and we got a lot of you know people are like it's gonna be really hard you're gonna start all over everything that you've created will not help you in doing this you will have to all your marketing you'll have to do cold calls which neither of us like to do so I was like oh but it was amazing we just started putting our put forward in, in a figurative sense and just started trying. Yeah. And it was hard. I mean, no schools were calling. No, it, we were not getting any engagements. It was, it was scary. And yet, I mean, over in the, probably since 2018, um, you know, I've spoken to over 25,000 youth, probably more. I, I'm really bad with math and I always have to ask Doug, now how many schools and how many students? Yeah. But, it, but so at least that. And that's a lot of people, Tasha. And and yes, so with these suicides, you know, in in your network where you were hearing about it and you just felt this call to to bring what? To to bring what? Yeah. Hope. Hope. And and like I said, hope is, I said that earlier, that hope is my favorite word because it is so powerful. And I I understand that it's a very uh, fuzzy concept. Like it's nothing literal it's hard to put words it's hard to put a definition to it right but for me hope is just never giving up just believing that you have value and therefore it is worth it to keep going right you are important and therefore I believe that things will turn around I believe that things will get better that's my story 
and I'm a quadriplegic. Right. And somebody said to me once, they're like, you cannot tell children, you cannot tell youth that their life is going to get better. You don't know what they're going through. And I was like, nope, I'm pretty sure that I have a story yeah. that looks hopeless to the world, and that is the last thing that it is. My story is filled with yeah. hope. And yeah. so I am going to tell people it, it is hard and I'm not telling anybody that life is easy. I'm not telling anybody that what you're going through isn't difficult, but what I know is that it is worth it to keep going, whatever it takes, whatever you have to do. If it's calling a suicide hotline, if it's talking to a friend, if it's reaching out for help, there are people that care about you. There are people that love you and there are people that want you to reach out to them. They will be sad. They will be devastated if you are not here tomorrow. And that's what, yeah. that's what we wanted. That's my story. And I was like, I have to let youth know that it's worth it to keep going. And, and, and I understand the struggles. It's difficult to be a teenager today. It's difficult to be an adolescent today with social media and bullying and all the things that are going on. But those things will come to an end. And people have that opportunity to come out of that and be an amazing human being, have an amazing future. And yeah. people, everybody that I've talked to that has attempted suicide, I've, I've asked them, are you glad that you are here? And every single one of them says, I'm so glad I'm here. Yeah. I'm so glad it, I was not successful. I'm so glad that I kept going. That yeah. I, and, and that's the thing. Is it's just this common theme. It's not just me. And so that's what we want. We want to teach youth about resiliency, about how to get through hard times, how to build a foundation so that when you do go through hard times that you can get through it. And that's all, that's all in hope. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my passion. Yeah, that's so cool. So, so you took your speaking engagements and changed it toward, you know, helping youth and yep. you created the pit crew. Is that still what you're calling the, the pit crew, right? Can you explain well, kind of yeah, how you and Doc yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it started off as a pit crew because when Logan died, nobody knew. Nobody knew, not his parents, not his best friend, not his siblings. Nobody knew. And it was so, Emmy was like, we had a great day. Like, no, like it must have been an accident, and it, there's no way that it was a suicide. Right. And it was it was a week later. I don't know how long after, but the, the police officer found the suicide note in his phone, oh. and nobody knew. Not one. He had never said, "You know, Mom, I'm struggling with depression. Do you think we could get some help?" Never. He never ever. He was talking oh. about what college he was going to go to. He was talking about his summer plans, and so we created the pit crew basically because, well, NASCAR is the second leading sport in our nation. It's second to the NFL. And I, never, I did not know this. I am actually not a fan of NASCAR. I I've didn't know that it. either. Yeah. But we began to see how many youth know, know about NASCAR. And NASCAR, the driver has a pit crew. He, has, he or she has a team that they rely on. And they never feel bad about asking for help. They know that they are there. They know that they're there to help them. And they're never like, you know, I think I'm just going to do this race alone today. Because they know it won't work. They know, right. that in, they know that in their race, 
they are going to run out of gas and their tires are going to give out. They need a team. Yeah. And they never say, oh, I'm so, I'm sorry, I'm going to come in now. Do you think you could help me? Right. No, like, they're like, hey, I'm coming in. I need your help. You get, right. get me back to going and, and then I'm off in my race. And so I talk about life being like a race in my, in my keynote, in my message. And, and in that, we talk about how important it is to ask for help. And that's what the whole pit crew thing is all about. Because like you said, I ask for help every day. I have to ask for help. And I have a team. I have caregivers. I have my husband. I have neighbors. I have people, my family members, that I can call on if I need help. Yeah. And I don't, and you know, some days it gets to me, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. But overall, it's just a fact of part of my life, of my daily yeah. life. Yeah. So for me, I was like, we need to teach youth this. We need youth and adolescents to know that they have a team of people, that they're not alone to not listen to that lie because I know that that's a lie that Logan was feeling, that nobody yes. cared about him and that he, they'd be better without him. That was not true. The, 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 the agony and the pain that I watched his family go through was devastating. I mean, yeah. I can't even... And yeah. we, want, we want youth to know that, that they're not alone and that they have a team. They have yes. teachers, they have counselors, they have parents, they have friends. And for some reason, we've built in ourselves, like, no, I can do this. I don't need anybody. And that is not the truth. We need right. people. We need people to succeed. So right. that was kind of this movement that we created. But then we began to see that schools are really struggling with mental health and suicide awareness curriculum. So we were going to create something called the Pit Crew Curriculum. And we worked on it for two years. And then we realized kind of six months before we, oh, about a year, no, about six to nine months before we released it, we realized my message to students is pass. Purpose, attitude, team, and hope. Those are the four things that have helped me get to where I am. And learn resiliency. I believe that that's the equation to have resiliency in our lives. And um, so we switched it to the PATH curriculum, but the PIT crew is still in it. It's in lesson five on team. So I talk about the PIT crew when I talk about the team and that analogy and it's been awesome to see the students that have their own pit crew team boards that talk about their pit crew in their in their journal entries and their in their assignments like I know I'm not alone and we've just seen them taken and run with it and it's been such a wonderful thing to see for 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 everyone to know even teachers you know we see yeah. a lot of education conferences to teachers knowing that they're not alone, that they have a team, that they have to ask for help, you know, because we're also seeing teachers and uh, their lives. We're seeing suicide rates climb with, within the education world, principals. I mean, it's, it's not superintendents. It's really sad. And so yeah. it's something that we all need. We all need to remember that we have a team and that we're not a burden, that, that, yeah. we, that people will be blessed by us asking them for help. Right. That people will find purpose in the in their lives by you reaching out and say hey can you help me they'll be like oh right. my gosh she thought of me like i'm her i'm part of her pit crew yeah oh my goodness i'd love to help you so yeah. that's where, where it all came from and the curriculum was released january 1st so that actually goes to schools it's purchased by schools that uh want a mental health and suicide awareness curriculum within their classrooms. so 
It's very, very empowering. Yeah. It's incredible to hear all the work you're doing. And Tasha, what are some things that kids have said to you then? Like when, when, when did you realize like, yep, this is, this is working. This is important work. Like the first school I spoke at, (laughs) I mean, I was so nervous. I thought I'm like, they're going to eat me alive. I'm going to puke. Like I can't, this huge assembly. And I had spoken in large groups that they're adults. They laugh at my jokes. They're very compassionate. They're very, they're very, um, open. You know, they're open to me making mistakes. (laughs) Students are a lot less forgiving and they are the toughest crowd out there. They've, they've got Netflix, they've got YouTube, they've got all these inspirational videos and they're like, well, you're not her. And oh, I listen to him all the time and you should listen to him and, you know, take some lessons from him. I mean, kids, it was hard. It was hard. And I really had to get a thick skin because yes, I was, there were some students that looked bored. There were some students that didn't get much out of it, but there was always one student who did. There was always one student who came up to me crying afterwards. There was always a student that said, I needed to hear that today. And maybe I didn't hear that until I got home and they sent it to me on Instagram, but I got it. And it just began to trickle in and flood in. And it was like the snowball of where I had all these messages that I couldn't even keep up with them. And that's amazing, Tasha. Yeah. And that was what that's, oh man, people are like, what do you do to rejuvenate outside of speaking? And I'm like, no, speaking is what rejuvenates me. Speaking Good. is what, because when that person comes up to me and says, you know, I was really struggling and I needed to hear that today. It like fills my bucket. Yeah. Overflowing. I mean, it is just like, thank you. Thank you. They think that they're doing me a favor. And I'm like, no, honestly, you telling me that means so much. Right. I, they think I should say they think I'm helping them. But by their words, they're helping me. Right. So it is, it is so powerful. It's just this give and take yeah. of just paying it forward. And so it is powerful. So and, and your hope, your story of hope and resilience is something everybody could learn from. And it's just truly mm-hmm. remarkable. Um, Tasha, you. how do people get involved in the pit crew and in PATH? And how do people find your books? Can they donate money to your mission? I mean, can you talk a little bit about how people can get in contact with you and what you and Doug have going on. Yeah. So I think the best way, you know, we're not a 501c3. So, I mean, we take donations, but they're not tax deductible. So we are a for-profit business. But I think the best thing that people can do for us is to write their principals and their school counselors in their town and say, can we get Tasha Shu to come and speak at our school? So the best, so honestly, the best way to connect us with your local principal or counselor or whoever makes those decisions, whoever makes the decision of whether a speaker is coming in, copy me on an email and just say, all you have to say is, hey, I think Tasha Shu would be great to have it come and speak at, to our students. And we do mostly middle and high school, but we do also do elementary. So a lot of times we'll just do K through 12 in one day, in one day, but, and then just blind cop or copy me, don't blind copy, copy me, which my email address is Tasha, T-A-S-H-A at Tasha, again, T-A-S-H-A, shoe, S-C, as in cat, H-U-H.com. And then I'll just take it from there. Yeah. And you can just put my website and my website, 
Um, it's on my signature. But if you just say her website, TashaShoe.com, and all the information is there, that's the best thing, you know, because we really mostly want to speak to these students. And then if that doesn't work, then we let them know about our curriculum. Is that kind of being a second option? Um, but we love to travel. We want, we want to go to these schools because that is where we feel we can make the greatest impact. And then the curriculum being followed up with afterwards, it's just, it just puts an exclamation point on what the students heard and it allows them to build a foundation for them to remember and take my message with them. And so, so yeah, so just write your principal, copy me in the copy section and just say, could we, um, how, do, how, do, how Doug, Doug does this mostly, but um, could we have this speaker come in and speak to our students and then leave my web address, yeah, tashashu.com. Yeah. So. No, you, you did a great job explaining that. And like I said, I'll make sure okay. I put that on your page too when I put Thank your you episode so out. Yeah, we'll make sure we get all those links squared away so that people can contact you and learn more about what you guys are doing. Your website is great and that. you're very active on social media. Can you tell people how to find you on social media? Yep. So if you actually go to my website, TashaShoe.com, all of my social media links are at the top and at the Beautiful. bottom of the page. So Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, I just got on TikTok. So we're doing that and we're on LinkedIn. We're on, a, we're on all, I'm on all of them except for Twitter. I, I couldn't do, something had to give. So yeah, so, Twitter I'm on all hard. of those other ones. Yeah. Oh man. I, I just could not get, could not figure that one out. So I know, but yeah, I would love for you to follow me. I would love to hear from you. If you were inspired by my story at, that would make, that would just bless my day so much. So Yes. Please do that if you have time. Yes, of course. And then lastly, can you just share your new book? You you had written um, a book yes. about your injury and your rehabilitation. That's called yep. My Last Step Backward, right, Tasha? And that Correct. came out, yep. what year did you In write 2012. that? 2012. 2012, yep. Yeah, and then yep. tell and that's us. Available. Yeah, it's available on Amazon and my website. On my website, if you purchase it off my website, I autograph every copy that's purchased. We don't fulfill the Amazon orders, so you are more than welcome to purchase it on Amazon, but I love to autograph the book, and they're pretty much the same price. Um, and, then, um, and then my second book I released in December of 2017, that was my 20-year anniversary after my accident, and that book is titled My Next Move Forward. And that awesome. book is Doug and I, our love story, how we met, all the fears and anxieties and funny things that I can look back and laugh at, but uh, really, really wondering, am I ever going to get married? Like I turned 30 and just struggling with a lot of fear again and was so thankful that I waited and just, I, a lot of people had questions. So I answer those questions uh, that uh, people were curious about. And so I sure. talked about everything. So yeah, surrounding Surrounding dating and marriage and disability and all yep, of that. All okay. of that. Yep. Very cool. Yep. I'm I'm super excited to read that book. And um, for those of you guys that don't know, Tasha, when I first got sick and you know was faced with the disability world and having my life turned upside down, her story brought so much uh, hope and inspiration. Just knowing that she was able to make such a big impact 
on the community, but also just to people in general, no matter what your age is, Tasha, I mean, you just, you just show people that no matter what you're going through, there's purpose for you and you can get yeah. through it if you just keep looking ahead. So Thank you, thank you for, yes, thank you for instilling that in me, truly. Thank you for being such an open book. I really believe that people can heal and get through tragedy by hearing each other's stories and just knowing that you can get through if you just have a grain of hope. So, And that's, thank you. You make me tear up because it means so much to know that I was a part of your journey and and uh, that's what it's all about. So thank you for inspiring me and everyone else that knows you and has seen you come so far. It's just a beautiful, beautiful story in itself also. So yeah, well, thank, thank you. you for having me here today. Yes. And then lastly, Wheelchair Sports Camp happens in Minnesota. Yeah. Can you tell the listeners yep. about that? Because if they have friends or family with kids oh. that have disabilities, just let us, well, and adults. Yeah. Just yep. tell everybody about what that is and how they can get involved with it this year and what it'll look like next year too. So if you know anyone that uses a wheelchair, you need to send them this invitation. <laughs> this is where my life changed so much because so it's a national wheelchair sports camp. It's we've, they've had 34 years. This is the 34th year, so it goes way back, and it's been a huge thing for me for me to bring my friends. I invited Tess the moment I knew of her story and her situation. I was like, "You have to be here." Yep. But with COVID-19, the camp was just nervous about putting all the money and energy into having a camp this summer and then it not being able to happen. So they're actually doing a virtual camp. And at first I was like, what? But once we started planning and started thinking of all the possibilities and all the things that we still could do, no, we can't play soccer and no, we can't play softball. No, you can't go zip lining. But it's really at the end of the day, wheelchair camp is about relationships. It's about meeting people that are in similar situations as you or your friends and just realizing again that you're not alone and learning how to be the most independent, just getting friends that can identify with you. I know a lot of people in wheelchairs are, are the only, they're the only wheelchair user in their community and, and city and can feel lonely at times. And so this camp um, is going to be virtual, but please, 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 please tell your friends and family or yourself that you, they need to be there. You need to be there because it's life changing. And yes. you don't even have to leave the comfort of your own home. You just have to be on Zoom and they're going to have breakout sessions. They're going to have wheelchair. It's amazing. Uh, fixing clinics. They're going to have bingo. They're going to have scavenger hunts. We're going to have breakout rooms and you can talk about, you can ask questions about marriage and relationships and dating, online dating. I mean, we're going to have Lot, we're going to have crafts and dramas. It's going to be so yeah. much fun. So, yes. And like you, yes, yes. And like you said, too, tons of speakers, right? I mean, like you said, yep. the, speakers, there's a huge, yep, huge yep. paratri community and, and people that yep. are people that are wanting to inspire you guys um, yep. through, through speaking engagements. People like Tasha and some of her friends are going to be speaking. And it's just truly remarkable to hear the stories of overcoming and the sports people have been able to continue doing and push themselves even even though they have a disability. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. But then next year will be a normal camp, 
So come this year and then you can travel and come the following year and experience the real thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Tasha, the up. first, the first time I ever played, um, was it soccer or like dodgeball? It was the first time I ever played it in a wheelchair was with Tasha. And I remember, I remember you were cracking Doug up even too, because you just smashed that ball so hard toward the crowd. It was just so fun. <laughs> And I had a, uh, yeah. I had a blast too. I had no idea yeah. that I would like wheelchair soccer so much. It's like my new thing. It is totally, totally true. I could not believe how much fun I had doing these things that I thought would have been so silly. I promise you it will be worth the fee of $25 or whatever it is. Oh, heck yeah. That's, that's so cheap. Oh that's, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on here today. This was such a blessing and I hope that my story inspired you and helped you no matter where you're at in your journey. And so thank you again, Tess. It's an honor to be here. Thank you, Tasha. All right. Well, I think we I think we did it. I think we got all your questions. Now I'm just going to go, you know, find your website and get all the links for your books and stuff set up. Perfect. Um, and then are your video links YouTube or what are they? Are they just yeah, in your, yeah, okay. YouTube. they okay, should be sweet. all YouTube. Yep. Sweet. All right. Well, yeah, I feel like everything's going to just be on your website. Cause like you said, it's all, it's all here, the books, everything. Yeah. So that's yeah. going to be really nice for people. It'll be nice and simple. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It was awesome seeing you catching up with you and being a yes. part of this. Yes. You too. Okay. okay. Tasha, will you take care? Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. This has been push diaries podcast please visit our website at pushdiariespodcast.com to see our mission and learn more about the guests. This is your podcast too. I want to hear your stories. Email me at pushdiariespodcast at gmail.com and consider supporting the show by going to patreon.com forward slash pushdiariespodcast. Thank you for listening.